0: Okay, that wasn't a very good beer crack because I already <laughs> had beer
1: open. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Stack and Denny's. I'm Jordan McAbee of Roto Bowler. My co-host, Nick Giffen of the Action Network. William Byron gets his fifth win of the season at Watkins Glen after Michael McDowell leads the first 16 or so laps. Has a penalty, has some mechanical issues. Overall, though, a very quick race and not one that fans enjoyed. Only 39.6% of fans on Jeff Gluck's poll, said that it was a good race. Second lowest race of the twenty twenty three season so far. Lowest was Martinsville. Nick, I know you did not get a chance to watch Martinsville. I did not get a chance to watch Watkins Glen, so it must be something with this with us that these races suck. When one of us can't watch them, the races suck. That it seems to be the the trend going on, as Larry Mack would say. But what did you think of this of this Watkins Glen race? Was it a typical road course race? Do you think this? Uh, you think this? good race poll would have been higher if we got mcdowell winning again or or someone other than william byron what, what's your overall thoughts on on this race from watkins Glen?
0: yeah uh it's interesting i mean it wasn't really that different from indy as far as like mm-hmm. uh the race overall right i mean it was a long green flag run this time it just happened to be at the beginning of the race and then ended with a, a shorter run after a caution so it was, it was pretty much the same thing as watkins glenn uh i guess it was a little bit harder to pass here at Watkins Glen than it was at uh, at Indy. So I think I think my opinion is that people are just weary tired, you know, just weary, not weary. Weary, uh, and tired of just green flag running. We know fans wanna see accidents. They wanna see wrecks. They wanna see insane battles, whatever, you know, and it just it that's not what was has been provided the last two races. So I think there was some, you know, some positive nostalgia from the the indie GP, you know, road course race, Brickyard, whatever you want to call it. Um, but uh, they got tired of it after after Watkins Glen. I will say the only thing I didn't enjoy was it being a sub two hour race. I love racing. I love racing. I don't want my races to go under two hours. That's too short. I want to watch racing. Uh, I want to watch racing all day, every day. I love racing. So that wasn't enough for me. Um, But as far as the, the racing itself, it was fine. It was really hard to pass, really hard to pass, which is never fun. So there is an issue with this car on these tracks, these track types. We've seen the same thing with the shorter flat tracks, seeing similar at road courses. It's not across the board with road courses, they can produce some good races. You know, Coda was certainly wild. Sonoma was a good race. Indy was good enough. You could make some passes. Certainly at Watkins Glen, much harder to pass. So there's still work to be done on these cars at road courses. I don't I don't know what the solution is, right? I'm not a Everybody, every fan knows the solution. They all know the solution because they always say, more horsepower, lower down force, whatever, and you know, it's it's not that easy. Uh, you can't just go to more horsepower, and it, it you know, there's a lot to consider with costs and and whether the OEMs, the engine manufacturers, will actually go for it, or if that's going to drive them out. So, it's certainly a balance. But right now, um, it's not the best product. But hey, I enjoyed the race itself. I guess it wasn't certainly wasn't my favorite. It was like it was fine. It wasn't like Martinsville bad or anything, um, but uh, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where I think the product could could certainly could certainly be improved.
1: And and one thing that I think NASCAR has going against it, as far as you know, like you said, it's hard to pass at these road courses. They also we had back to back road courses. Like we don't we don't have this on the schedule. So typically, if we have a, a bad race track or a track that doesn't put a, put put together a very good race. The next week is usually a, a better track with better racing. These are basically the same tracks back to back. Like the fast cars qualified up front, stayed up front. They were f- up front all day. I'm th- I think William Byron had an average running position like one point four, which is just you know ridiculous. Like that's all it is. So I think I think that's part of the issue uh, and why people kind of got sick of of the Glen and and like I said, like we had McDowell winning. At Indy, which definitely bumped up the polls. William Byron gets his fifth win of the year. Nobody wants to see that or casual fans don't want to see that unless you're a William Byron fan. So, <laughs> uh, you did, you know, you, you mentioned the long green flag run and, 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 one change that NASCAR made this year with road courses is taking away the stage yellows. Obviously stage yellows get us the restarts that, that creates the excitement. Uh, so question is, and I don't, I don't even have an answer for this. Um, do they need to bring back the stage cautions at road courses? A, and if you say no, B, do we need to eliminate the stage cautions at all tracks? So a little two-part question here. I
0: like it. I like it. Um, I like not having the stage cautions. It. I know the stage cautions create strategy by do you pit you know, with two to go in the stage and then uh do you uh, stay out and or and take the stage and then the caution flies and then you pit and lose your track position. But there's always been strategy at road courses. There's always been strategy. So I don't think it really changes things much to have the yellow or not as far as strategy. Like, will there be different strategies? We saw, uh, what was it, something like 17 cars out of 30-something at Indy pit After this stage and and like the other part before the stage or something like that. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I saw a tweet about it. So we saw a split strategy at Indy. And that doesn't even count the Hamlin-Keslowski strategy at Indy. And then there was a split strategy this past weekend at Watkins Glen as well. And there was that perfect caution timing this weekend at Watkins Glen. A natural caution, which caught out Kyle Busch, which caught out Bubba Wallace, which caught out... Kyle Larson, which caught out Austin Dillon, right? All all guys, I you know, other than Bubba Wallace, all guys I had some sort of bet on <laughs> this past weekend. So that caution really screwed me. But uh, that's the whole idea. That's road course racing. That's how it is across every road course series, you know, series in the world. I shouldn't say road course. Every series in the world, you know, major open uh, or major cir- closed circuit series in the world. They let natural cautions fall. They don't throw manufactured cautions, and I'm not calling stage cautions manufactured, but they are non-natural, if you'll if you'll call them that. Uh, they weren't because of a danger on the track or on the circuit. So, uh, I like that. I like I even though it hurt my bets overall. I like it because that's what I like to see. That's part of the game. That's part of the deal. Whereas uh, it, it breaks it up a lot more. It, you know, it, you still have strategy, but at least you can plan around that a little bit more. Those kinds of cautions don't really come into play because you're either pitting with two to go on the stage or you're pitting at the stage caution, by and large, when we have guaranteed stage yellows. So uh, I personally like it more without the stage yellows. So I, I would love to keep it like this. I love this kind of racing. I know people don't, but for me, I, I enjoy it. Uh, I, again, I don't enjoy the product right now with this specific car, but I enjoy the natural flow of the race. Without the stage cautions, as far as other tracks, I'm open to trying it. I think the places mm. you most naturally try it first is something like a Pocono, or if you go to the Indie Oval again, try to yeah. those and see what happens. Right, uh, and then maybe try it at something like, what if you tried the Coca-Cola Six Hundred uh, or something like that? Because it, you know, one or one of these. Ovals, that's, I wouldn't say oddball, but like in the Coca-Cola 600, just every 100 laps having a stage cautions, not needed. So just maybe try it at the 600 or something. I don't know. But uh, I wouldn't necessarily say bring it back everywhere because remember, the reason NASCAR brought about stage cautions to begin with is twofold. A, to get the guaranteed commercial break, to get the advertisements. That is absolutely needed if we want to continue watching NASCAR on major channels. And B, uh, before they did this, I remember listening to this, you know I would drive to and from work every day back before, uh, you because know, I, I, when Stage Cautions first started in 2016, I had been working at my biotech company from 2010 to 2016. I was driving to work back and forth every day, 30, 45 minute drive depending on where I lived in North Carolina, um, and all it was on SiriusXM NASCAR radio was complaining about how boring the races are because these drivers don't try until the last 40, 50, 20 laps, depending on the race. They just ride around. They just ride around. There's no cautions. They ride around. Nobody passes each other. Do you all want that back? I certainly don't. So um, I think the stages are good. So keep the stages. But I, at the ovals, I'm still – I have no idea how it's going to go if you keep the stages, but don't throw a guaranteed caution. So, I'm worth I'm open to trying it, but we absolutely have to keep the stage point stuff because it's made racing better since that really couple bad years like 14, 15, 16 there. Or not 16 mm. cuz that's when it started. But like 13, 14, 15.
1: Yeah, I think I think this year, you know, we, we kind of see NASCAR do this where they dip their toes in with something like, you know, taking away the stage cautions at road courses. And I think we're going to definitely see that as the years progress where they kind of take them away at other places where it may not be necessary. Uh, like you said, like the Coca-Cola 600, Pocono, races like that. You know, even even this weekend at Daytona, is it really necessary at Daytona? Uh, but getting back to, to, to Watkins Glen, uh, you know, obviously Hendrick. Watkins Glen? <laughs> <laughs> Hendrick Motorsports in victory lane with William Byron. Uh, but Joe Gibbs Racing overall, four of the top six finishers with Joe Gibbs Racing. And, and I'm I'm irritated at myself that I didn't bring this up in last week's episode because I know we've talked about it before at Watkins Glen. Joe Gibbs Racing is always really good at the Watkins Glen, and I don't really know why. But if you remember back to, like, the days when Eric Jones was at Joe Gibbs Racing, he was not very good at road courses. And all of a sudden we'd come to Watkins Glen and he'd be a top ten contender at mm-hmm. Watkins Glen. Denny Hamlin finished second, Christopher Bell third. Ty Gibbs gets another top-five finish. That's his second of his career, uh, finishing fifth. And then Truex rallies from a 19th-place 19th starting spot he was, to finish sixth. He was six. definitely a
0: big beneficiary of that caution. It's not like he wasn't bad, but he definitely benefited from, from that caution. And, oh, man, he and uh, – if, if Elliott hadn't run out of fuel, he and Elliott were on amazing strategies because they pitted right when the fuel window opened that very first time and they were able to run some flying laps in clean air, uh, clean track position, and they both made just absolutely tons of places on the track from that strategy. So, um, you know, Truex wasn't super fast, but had a very solid race and ended up benefiting from strategy.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, You you mentioned Chase Elliott there. uh, Also, Bubba Wallace, you know, this will get us right into talking Mm -hmm. about the playoff bubble because that's the big thing now. Kevin Harvick, Brad Kozlowski are – are locked into the playoffs now. There's one spot left. It's going to be Bubba Wallace on points. Maybe um, who's who's right behind him? Suarez, Almendinger, Ty Gibbs. You know, they're all kind of close. Uh, I guess yeah. Almondinger's is pretty far back. But Suarez and Ty Gibbs are within striking distance kind of or someone that wins at the Daytona race this Saturday night. Uh, Bubba Wallace, though, had a great race uh, for, for him at a road course. He's not a road course racer. Top 10 in both stages, finished 12th at the end of the uh, at the end of the race but like you said Chase Elliott was on great strategy uh I don't even want to like I'm already <laughs> sick of hearing so much about Chase Elliott and how it's not alan Gustafson's fault that he ran out of fuel. Yes it fucking is. Chase Elliott finished 32nd. He absolutely now has to win to get into the playoffs. As does Alex Bowman. So at least one of the Hendrick cars is not going to make the playoffs this year, uh, which you know a lot of people did not expect coming in the season. Obviously, these guys both missed some races, but um, you know, getting into this whole Chase Elliott thing, uh, I can't believe the amount of people that do not realize Alan Gustafson isn't good. You and I have bitched about this for a while. He's not good, and you know, people are going to point to he has a championship. He's led drivers to 38 wins. He'd probably have like 60 wins with those drivers if he was good. Like, uh, people are not taking away the, mis- the, the major mistakes that this guy makes. And I don't care if it's not him that did the calculation on this, on this fuel run. He still is the boss of that pit crew, of that whole crew. It is his fault. He gets the blame for this. I don't care what you say. It's not Chase Elliott's fault. It's not whoever did the math on this. It is Alan Gustafson's fault, 100%. And the, the amount of people that are just blindly defending him and, and acting like he, uh, he's, I don't know, like an, an all-star crew chief is insane to me. I think
0: for me the issue is him passing off the blame himself. Oh, I was given he bad information. Yeah. Yeah. He wouldn't even say uh, it doesn't matter if you were given bad information or not. You're responsible for that information. You're responsible for getting good or bad information. You are responsible for making sure every T is crossed and I is dotted or whatever it is. Your P's and Q's are looped the correct ways. Like, you are responsible for that as the crew chief. You're responsible mm-hmm. for everyone below you on that, so I don't care if you were given bad information. You should have made the, sure the information you were given wasn't bad in the first place. So whether it was your technical mistake or not, it's still your fault.
1: Yeah, and I just, you know, sorry, links barking at something out there, but um, I'll get I'll
0: I get, just, uh, I, I'll get Dog to start
1: barking at something. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I just, I can't believe the people that just, like, we've seen this, we've seen him make really stupid calls in the past and maybe I'm hypersensitive to it because I pay attention to the stupid calls that he makes, but the guy's just not good. Um, and, and, and here's my, here's my final argument for, for Alan Gustafson isn't good. Um, when is the last time that Chase Elliott unloaded off the truck and had the dominant car? He like William Byron year. does. He hasn't that Kyle he like hasn't Kyle this year at all.
0: at all. I would say he's he has He's led the he most laps in zero races this year and he's won one
1: stage. I would say he hasn't since he won the championship at Phoenix. That's the last time he had the dominant car off the truck. And it was the championship race, and we all know how the championship four all find a hundred extra horsepower of speed in the final race. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Like so if he's so good, you would think that he'd have yeah, these I mean, cars. Technically, dialed Atlanta in. last
0: year, right? Like the the Corey LaJoy Atlanta race last year, Chase Elliott absolutely dominated that race. But even then, um, I don't count Super was, Okay, well Martinsville last year, Martinsville won. Where the the worst Martinsville race of all time, even worse than this year's Martinsville race, uh, he absolutely dominated. And guess who lost him that race? Alan Gustafson.
1: That was okay. That was the night, the cold night race.
0: Yeah, that was the time where he pitted for tires instead of keeping track position, and Byron did the opposite, and Byron ended up winning the race. But Chase Elliott, one stage one, one stage two, would have led the most laps if not for that dumb crap there. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's probably the last time Chase Elliott like really unloaded and dominated, other than, uh, not counting super speedways, other than
1: since his championship win. I'm just saying it does not happen on a anywhere near Correct. normal basis for an elite quote unquote crew chief. Correct. Like I would, I would argue William Byron's crew chief is elite. Rudy Fugo, I think that's his name. Um, mm-hmm. Kyle Larson's crew chief, elite. Martin Truex Jr. crew chief, crew chiefs because uh, <laughs> yeah, Pern did the same thing. Elite. Chase Elliott, not is it. Gustafson is not elite, and you, we've can't, seen, you can't tell me We've different.
0: seen your favorite driver, Ross Chastain, dominate more races than Chase Elliott mm-hmm. over the past year and a half, two years.
1: hmm Did you see his tweet, by the way, after the race? Chastain's? Oops. I did Chastain's? Not. No, I didn't So see he it. basically said um, he praised his team and his speed for his 18th place finish and how, many, how much gains they made, basically admitting that they've sucked on speed for the last two months. I don't, I don't think enough people saw that tweet. But, yeah, I mean, it just it, it goes back to you know everything we've been talking about. To be fair, he past. also was
0: one of those bit out, bit by the caution. Um, he probably would have had a, maybe a top 15, which isn't saying much. But right. the 18th place was a little unflattering uh, as far as the actual finish because um, I had that Ross Chastain over Kevin Harvick bit and ended up really close when it really shouldn't have been close simply because both Chastain and Harvick got screwed by the caution timing.
1: Mhm. Um but yeah, we're one week away from from locking in this playoff field. Uh like I said, it's it's either it's probably going to be Bubba Wallace, maybe Ty Gibbs if Bubba wrecks out early, or whoever wins at Daytona on Saturday night if they don't already have a win. We made our guesses last week when it came to the playoffs um and who we thought the three drivers would be uh getting in at uh after Daytona. I guessed Chase Elliott, Alex Bowman, Brad Kozlowski. you guessed Eric Jones, Brad Kozlowski, Kevin Harvick. So you still have two dogs in the fight. Are you sticking? Are you I still sticking three with Eric Jones? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, well, you I have, technically you, have all well, you three have two, in the fight. You have you have all three in the fight. Two locked in for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. So you sticking with Eric Jones as, as your? Because uh, I know like, last week I said we could we we're going to change these probably this week.
0: Yeah, yeah. I. I the I, I the more I analyze this week the more I think it's Bubba Wallace. Um you know, Denny Hamlin's going to stick to Bubba Wallace's rear bumper. Period. So, unless Bubba mm-hmm. Wallace is caught up in something um there's a there's I think there's a very strong chance he wins this race. If not, Denny Hamlin wins this race. And even then, if neither of them win, there's still a very strong chance uh you know, somebody like a uh I don't know, a Keslowski or a Byron or a Christopher Bell or whoever, you know, Ross Chastain, Ryan Blaney, Joey Lagana win this race. So, um I will revise it to Bubba because I think, you know, it just it makes too much sense right now.
1: I understand that, yeah. Like I said, he drove an I athlete. I don't want I, it to I, be.
0: I don't want it to I, be. I want Glen, you know, but... I, I and I'm a I'm a Bubba Wallace fan, but I want it to I want it to be crazy, absolute mayhem, chaos, insanity, because that's fun, right? Like, if this if this comes down to what happened last year where Bubba Wallace has an early incident and he's just trying to point his way in and praying no new driver wins. Like, last year's race was, rain aside, last year's race was already insane before the rain. How intense everything was. Daniel Suarez leading. Justin Haley leading. I mean, just absolute pure intensity. That would be so awesome if that race is this race this year. So not that I don't want Bubba Wallace to make the playoffs. I'm a fan. I do. But I also want just that absolute pure crazy level of intensity. And I'm not sure we're going to get it as much uh, with, you know, we, we compared last week the Keslowski harvick potential situation to Blaney Truex last year. We kind of have that this year, but it's like Bubba versus Ty Gibbs kind of deal, which right. is quite the same. <clears throat> and there's a much bigger gap there. So, um, still, I uh, still think it to be an amazing race, but I think all factors right now point to Bubba Wallace uh, being that third car.
1: I I 100% agree. I, I think Bubba gets in. Um, and you know, what sucks is I think that how the playoffs are or how everything going into this race with the playoffs and everything, I think we're going to get an extremely tame Daytona race. I don't, I I I think they're going to, I think I, I, I think they're going to go out and ride around like they did in the Daytona 500 for most of the race. I think that's what they're going to do. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope you're right. 100%. But I just – I don't see it happening. I don't see them being aggressive. Something always happens
0: in these races. Something always happens. I analyzed – even when, um, you know, we have situations similar to this year, I think 2021 or 2020, those races were absolute chaos on the cutoff line. Um, We had no more than half the field end up on the lead lap in any of these three so far Daytona cutoff races. I don't see any reason for it to be tame because we still have – 16 cars that can win their way in not counting mm-hmm. Bubba Wallace and not counting somebody like a, a Brad Keselowski who you know wants to get a win for some playoff points and just get a win period or a Denny Hamlin who could win and essentially help Bubba Wallace lock himself in barring an absolute catastrophic scenario for Bubba uh so there will be 20 and plus you've got You've got interlopers, uh, Brennan Poole's, uh, <laughs> right? Like mm-hmm. Josh Berry's. You got guys that just want to win to uh, to prove themselves. Riley Herbst. I don't care. Austin Hill, right? You got. And some of these will be team situations, but like, you can't tell me that uh, you know. For example, all focus right now on Front Row Motorsports is getting Todd Gill and into the show and getting him a win, right. or at Stuart Haas Racing, getting one of Priest Almarola or Briscoe in. Uh, to the playoffs. So this is still going to be absolutely intense. It's going to be pure chaos that last stage.
1: I guess I should have clarified. I think it's going to be tame as shit for the first 95% of this race. And then it's going to get nuts. I would the first nuts.
0: two stages, yes. Um, the, each of the last three years, the first two stages were tame. But the third stage in all of them
1: was mayhem. So how does that how can we use that information knowing that historically and most likely just general scenario that these first two stages are going to be tame? Does that give us any leans for stage bets, stage winner bets, depending Um, on how qualifying shakes out and everything else? Yeah,
0: I don't know. I mean, we know some guys, they don't need to put themselves into a dangerous position. Uh, Mm -hmm. We know we know, know like, someone
1: like Hamlin will be up there leading, and if he if it starts getting dicey, he's ducking out and going to the back, no matter what. If so, it's in the first well, two stages,
0: I, it depends because Bubba Wallace needs stage points. Yeah. So the best thing Hamlin can do is protect Bubba Wallace. Uh, if if Bubba's leading, Hamlin will be right on his bumper in second for the stage, uh, because Hamlin's sole goal is to get Bubba Wallace in the playoffs. Whether it's through points or through him or Bubba winning, that is Hamlin's sole goal. So Bubba is going to be points racing because if he comes out of this race with 28 points total, total, he's locked into the playoffs. Because he's 32 ahead. You can only get 60 in a race. Uh, So if he gets 28 points in this race, he's locked in. So you can get 20 stage points. Right. So that means he would only need eight, which means he could finish mid 20s and be totally fine. He could ride around the rest of the day. Uh, So assuming
1: there's no new winner.
0: Right. Assuming there's no new winner. That's a good point. Um, You're right. But but uh, yeah, that's fair. Um, But even then, you know, at least Hamlin knows in the first two stages, if there's no new winner, he can lock in Bubba with a mid-20s finish, so their goal should be to still collect 20 stage points, um, which means Danny Hamlin should be pushing Bubba two-stage wins. But I get your point. There's other guys who could back out, right? Chase Elliott's not point-racing point his way in. He could just ride around until the last stage. Alex Bowman, same thing. I mean, literally every guy on this list that's outside looking in other than maybe Ty Gibbs and... Really, maybe, 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 maybe Daniel Suarez can ride around uh, and just go for the stage win or not the stage win, the race win.
1: Part of me, part of me thinks, you know, obviously that's that should be the strategy for Toyota, Denny Hamlin, Bubba Wallace. But part of me thinks Denny's ego is big enough that he he would try to go win the stage uh, over Bubba if in the position he's running second. I I don't think so.
0: Did you hear his actions in would detrimental interview? No. Yeah, his side. his only goal is to get Bubba in the playoffs. Gibbs be hmm. damned. <laughs> uh, you know, not exactly those words, but that's his only that, goal this race.
1: That, that's another thing. You know, now these rumors are swirling that 23-11 could be moving to Ford.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's and... going to be a split in the Toyota camp this race, for sure. Um, you know, Denny's... Denny is going to try to get Bubba Wallace in, and you think Tyler Reddick would, too, as Bubba's teammate. And Ty Gibbs is on the outside looking in, so you've got to think Truex and Bell are more focused on getting Ty Gibbs in uh, as Gibbs loyalists. So there could be a split in the Toyota camp this week, and that goes right in
1: line with the 23-11 the rumors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know, I I could have swore that news broke like a few weeks ago that Denny Hamlin re-signed the contract and that he was back. But now that's the big thing too is apparently he still doesn't have a contract for next year at, at Joe Gibbs, and now you know if they're talking to Ford and and making that switch, obviously Gibbs is staying with Toyota, uh, twenty or Legacy Motor Club is going to be coming over to Toyota next year. Um, yeah, that's that's another interesting dynamic I didn't even think of is. Mm-hmm. Where does Truex and and those guys go? You would think and Ty Gibbs, but but at the same time, Truex isn't a great teammate. He only cares about himself. I was gonna say. I was gonna say
0: Toyota typically at these races have been terrible at working together at the end of them. Absolutely terrible, especially in the last few years. So it doesn't bode well for Ty Gibbs, but I think it bodes really well for Bubba Wallace because Denny Hamlin is 100% committed to being either on Bubba's bumper pushing him or making sure Bubba's right behind him, pushing him to the win, as long as he knows Bubba's safe in second place, right? So the the whole goal is getting Bubba in. As long as you know a non-new winner will win and Bubba's in a good enough points position, that's good enough for Denny. But the way to guarantee that is either Bubba Wallace winning or Denny Hamlin winning with Bubba Wallace on his bumper. But I wouldn't say for the stage that makes the most sense because, you know, you still want – any possible points you can get. You don't know if this is going to come down to a one-point difference with all the chaos at the end.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I, I understand that, and I understand what Hamlin said, but he still gets a playoff point for winning the stage. And, I, and like, I, I feel like if I was in Denny Hamlin's position, I would value that more than I would a, Yeah, but get the five race win points
0: instead. Have Bubba right on your bumper. Grab the five win points. Get Bubba locked in. Get yourself locked in, and five extra playoff points for the race win. Plus a race win. That's the best way to do it, in my opinion, for Denny Hamlin.
1: Hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that's something to you know. The Ford thing is definitely something to keep an eye on because that would be that would be a silly season thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we uh, we talk about stuff coming out of left field. That would be. Obviously, the rumors are swirling, and as of now, they're just rumors. I don't think anybody's broke anything, but um, something to consider. Uh, looking at the rest of the standings, Truex, th- like we've been talking about, thirty-nine point lead over Hamlin for the for the regular season championship. It's going to take it. Hamlin could do it. Hamlin's a really good super speed racer. Truex isn't good at these getting the finishes at these tracks. Uh, Another reason for Hamlin to run for stage points. Yeah. Um, but if, if playoffs started right now, Byron's going to start with 36 points and you have to wonder how much that team's kicking themselves for that, that penalty at Phoenix, that 60 point penalty, because if they didn't have that. Byron would be within 16 points of the regular season championship as well, which would just give if him Danny a, Hamlin
0: didn't have his 25 point penalty for putting Chastain in the wall. He'd be within whatever points of Truex, X, right? So yeah, a couple penalties here, looming large, uh, but uh, it, it makes it actually. You bring this up, and I and I said another reason for Danny Hamlin to run for stage points makes it really interesting to bet like Bubba Wallace stage win or Hamlin stage win or Truex stage win because they all need stage points or Ty Gibbs stage win right like or, or Daniel Suarez like those five drivers would be the five that would race for
1: stage points above anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but this has to, you know. Byron getting his fifth win of the season. Like, I know two, three weeks ago, we were talking Truex is the favorite to win this championship. It has to be Byron now, doesn't it? Like, that team has shown that they can win. They they won at Phoenix. They won at Las Vegas. They won at Atlanta. They won at uh, Watkins Glen. I forget what his other win was. These are all different track types. They are winning everywhere. I have no doubt in my mind that if William Byron makes it to Phoenix, he's winning the championship this year. Like I just that that team is so good. And he's so good. Like this is his full breakout season. I yeah, know I, I know. I know we already crowned mid championship. Ross Chastain is the midseason <laughs> champion. By the by the exactly. way, he's eighth in points. He's eighth in points for all you Ross Chastain fanboys out there. And he has to be had ninth a points, in points penalty either. Her, about to be tenth, he he could be he could be in fucking twelfth place in points by the end of this. He's only one yeah. point ahead of Blaney, two points ahead of Harvick, seven points ahead of Kyle Busch, and twelve points ahead of Reddick, and who's twelfth in points? God, that would make me at, happy. If you look at if you look
0: at points per race run, I think Elliott's ahead of him too, obviously,
1: because Elliott missed uh, seven races. Chris Chris Busher has as many points as Ross Chastain. Yeah, just throwing that one out there.
0: And Ryan Blaney's one point behind. Uh, Kevin Harvick is two points behind. Kyle Busch is uh, seven points behind or, or something like that. No, 12 points behind. Wait, no, I'm looking at the wrong line. Yeah, seven points behind. And then uh, Tyler Reddick is 12 points behind. So there's yep. one, two, three, four drivers lined up within 12 points of Ross Chastain, right behind him. And mm-hmm. like I said, Chase Elliott has more points per race than Ross Chastain.
1: Sorry, I'm I'm tweeting out. Uh, You're good. Something right I now. uh,
0: another thing is um, another thing is uh, what was I gonna say? I I forget what I was gonna say. Uh, shoot, I don't remember what I was gonna say. Oh. William Byron, you mentioned how you, if he makes it to Phoenix, like you're, you're sure he's going to win. So preseason, I got I, I took my two bets preseason to win the championship for William Byron and Martin Truex Jr. One of them was at 14 to one, one of them was at 16 to one. I forget which was which, but you get the idea. one was 14, one was 16. Look at them now, mm-hmm. probably the two best drivers in the Cup series this year uh, and so just feeling very, very selfish-. Pat on the back. Good about those bets. Uh, so shout outs to um, Stevie TPFL as well, who Steven Young Roto grinders who does the running hot podcast with me. We kind of came on those bets together, but uh, feeling
1: feeling very good about those. Yeah, that's solid. Uh, speaking of, you know, I talked about this last week and I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this sucker bet like I'm going to. Chase Elliott, 75-1 to 1, to win the championship. I, I knew you were going to say that. I 100% knew you were going to say that. And I actually did the math on it already. Okay. Don't even try to shoot me down. I'm making this bet. I don't care if it's a dumb bet. This is an entertainment follow. I agree with you. File yeah. this under entertainment bet. We'll, uh, we'll talk about
0: entertainment bets when we get into Daytona this week. Uh, we'll talk about entertainment right. bets. But I, I agree yeah. with you. I, I don't, it's not the worst bet in the world. I think it's slightly I've done the math and it's slightly minus EV slightly but you kind of just have to feel good about getting Chase Elliott 75 to 1 if he were to win this race right right so it's yeah. a contingent on if he it's a parlay you're parlaying Chase Elliott winning the race at whatever with Chase Elliott winning the championship at 5 to 1 or something like that so if he makes the playoffs should he really be 5 to 1 to win no uh, not based off the way he's run this year, especially after what we just talked about. He hasn't dominated a single race this year, but yep. it's still like you feel like it's a good bet, and it is a good entertainment bet as well. All of a sudden, if he wins this race, you're like, man, I got Chase Elliott 75 to 1 to win the championship. I hear you. I right. totally hear yeah,
1: you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but before we get into talking about Daytona, uh, we need to whine about it. And got new wines, got new new shipment of wines in. You got the, you got the mimosa. I'm doing the, I'm doing the punch tonight.
0: I, uh, I opened the mimosa during the race and so I got to finish it off, uh, cause it's been chilling in my fridge. Nice. Too I love it.
1: Yeah. So I, I'm drinking the passion punch. Um, and you got, got the, the passion. The passion Orange mimosa. Mimosa. These are, yep. these are brand new. I don't even think they're out in stores yet. Um, like I said, Nick and I just got brand new shipments of these wines. Do you want to go first or would you like me to go first?
0: Um uh, I'll let you go first this time.
1: I went first okay. last week.
0: I feel like we've been okay. trading lately, so I, I like that.
1: First I'm gonna first I'm gonna drink some of this wine and see what see what the passion punch is a, all about.
0: I didn't bring a mug or a glass down. I I was a failure on that part, so I'm
1: just gonna drink straight out of the bottle. <laughs> okay, here we go. As always, check out Luvabella wines, great sponsors of this podcast. And new flavors, like Oh, so mimosa, good. I, I'm excited to try mimosa. This okay, is here's so good, dude. This is so incredibly good.
0: Ooh, double sip. Let's go.
1: It's good. Okay, this is this is 13% alcohol, by the way. Nice. Um. It's pretty good. I wouldn't say it's my favorite. I wouldn't say it's out of this world. But it's good. It has a you can definitely taste the, the punchiness to it. It kind of reminds me of like a what was it? What Hawaiian punch kind oh, of? Oh yeah. But that guy Yeah, but uh <laughs> yeah. No, that isn't that the Kool-Aid man? But I don't know. Oh that's cool. I, I don't I, I, I get figured. all those
0: things mixed. Up. You're right, that's the Kool Aid man. Yeah
1: yeah but kind of <laughs> like a like if you would like just add some alcohol to Hawaiian punch it kind of has that yeah. same zinginess to it, but uh my you know my whine about it was gonna be Alan Gustafson and everybody defending him, which I kind of went off on a little tangent earlier, so i'm gonna i'm gonna switch this up a little bit. I am going to whine about the NASCAR.com website and for that matter. And extending over to nascarmedia.com. Uh, obviously, probably only a handful of people that listen to this have access to the NASCAR media site, which they, they overhauled last year and is just fucking awful. Half the time it doesn't work. Uh, you used to be able to search for pictures by a, a driver's name. Now you can't. Um, just awful. But nascar.com, can you just give us the fucking information that we want? why does it take me 15 minutes to find the fucking practice leaderboard like all i want to see are practice speeds that's the only thing going on at that time and i can't find it i'm not a stupid person and i can't fucking find it i have to click 12 different pages click through 12 different pages to find the damn practice leaderboard to find the the numbers that i want not to mention you know you go out you go to the website after the race and you just like want to see the results you click on there and they give you a full write-up of the whole fucking race. Give me the results. That's what I'm looking for. Just give people what they're looking for. Holy shit. You wonder why you've, if you search for, for practice speeds on Google after, after the actual practice session or qualifying session, that NASCAR.com isn't the, the first ones to pop up. You wonder why? Because it's so much easier to find on other websites. It's so much presented so much better on other websites. I understand NASCAR has this obsession with making everything look good, and I'm not going to sit here and say that the website doesn't look good. You know, they have the the standings with all the pictures and everything. Just give people the information that they're trying to get, especially for practice and qualifying, because you know who's looking for practice and qualifying? Guys like you and me. Guys like that play fantasy sports. Guys that want to bet. They don't need it to look pretty. We just want the damn data. So NASCAR.com please just fucking make things simple because I'm sick of trying to navigate through your bullshit just to find some practice speeds.
0: It was bad this week. It was really bad. Um,
1: Well, I I don't even think it were, I don't even think they had them for Indy road course. Like literally didn't even have the feed going.
0: Yeah, exactly. It was er, Yeah. Not this week. The previous week, it was bad. Um, And uh, it's, it's just one of those things, it's it's unacceptable to be like, you know, the premier or second premier racing series in the world, if we say F1 is, um a series in the world and not have a functioning website, app, whatever it is, uh data feed, media feed, whatever it is. It's, you got to make a better investment in that infrastructure. And I... I'm a huge NASCAR fan, as are you. And we applaud them when they do things right, and we, you know, lay into them, whine about it when they do things wrong. So there needs to be a, uh, I would say, an investment into um, some of the infrastructure there for uh, the the online stuff. So definitely agree with you there. Um, it's it can be frustrating at times, but uh, you know, at the same time, like. They, they at least provide more data than at least available to fans uh,
1: that's easier to handle than some of the other series when it works. Do you know, one, f- first off, part two of my wine about it, I, I don't like this wine as much as I thought I did. I'm actually not really a fan of this. The more I'm drinking it, I don't like it. Um it's all right. Well,
0: it's a good thing like, the mimosa is awesome. I think you're gonna like the mimosa. I think you got one of those. I would right?
1: say I, I, I'm doing. Yeah, I'm doing mimosa next week. But I would say this is below average. Um, not 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 a huge fan. Um, two. Do you know the Twitter account? I think it's like NASCAR Damas or something. Yeah. And that the whole the interface the feed that they have of of speeds of, for practice and the race. Mm-hmm. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. Hire that guy. For your website, NASCAR. They should
0: hire him because I'm a little worried that he is going to get cease and desisted at some point. Because technically, I think, I believe, at least I know several years ago, it would have violated NASCAR's terms of service or whatever to redisplay, repopulate their data. And I don't want to... Put him down or anything I I, I, I think it's an absolute fantastic thing He's doing, I just don't know And I'm not going to You know, question or, or I shouldn't say not question, I'm not going to um, You know I, I just don't want to actually overblow it up Because I don't want him to have to Take down his stuff So Yeah, that's where I am on that <laughs> It's mm-hmm. uh, They do a great service, I just worry that uh, You know there, there may be some violations because we've seen, uh, I believe, in the past we've seen something similar
1: have to be stopped. Um, so we'll see. yeah, God, God, God forbid, NASCAR just makes the data easy to interpret and, and easy to okay, display. Right. But uh, just he,
0: uh, at, yeah, hire him, he's awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think uh, the accessibility they provide, NASCAR provides the data, is amazing overall because uh even without other sites or other places um they have top five top 10 or not top, top five five lap average 10 lap average 15 lap average 20 lap like they don't have lap by lap data available on their website for practice they do for uh in race they have web uh lap by lap data available um but uh You know, They have loop data. They have all sorts of stuff that the media can post and repost to their sites post-race and things like that. Green flag speed, average running position, yada, 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 yada. And that's totally fair game, all that. Um, So they do a great job of that, but uh, at the same time, there there certainly are some technical glitches, and I hope they invest further into improving that because you know what it's going to do? It's going to improve NASCAR's fan base itself by people having – Easier ability and access to understand and and watch all this data. And, you know, I hope they keep letting these sites go as well because it's only a good thing for NASCAR.
1: Well, and and as as sports betting continues to get more popularity, NASCAR betting will also get more popularity. You need to make this data available. This is only going to help grow the sport. But as we've seen time and time in the past with NASCAR, they probably don't give a shit and they're not going to realize that this helps you. By by helping others, ten, fifteen, twenty years I, I down think, the
0: road. Uh, I think there's maybe been a leaf turned, um, and it's it's actually changing. I really do. I don't think they fully know, but I th- I think I've seen improvements since you know I first started this almost a decade ago. And, I, hope. Even, I hope even even right. improvements in the last couple of years, two, three, four, five years.
1: I hope you're right. I really do. I mean, we didn't have 5, 10, just,
0: 15, 20-lap averages two years ago. That started, I think, partway through last year.
1: Probably. So, At least the yeah. 5 and the 15, yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, they only had 10-lap averages that they would post out to the media, and then the media would all retweet it and whatever. Um, right. But, uh, yeah, so I, I think it's improving, but um, – you know, There's still obviously improvements. And if your site's just not working at all for 5, 10, 15 lap averages, etc. or any practice times,
1: it's not good. Right there with you. Hmm. What's your whine about it?
0: So my whine about it is not going to be what everybody thinks it was going to be about um, because I don't care to give certain people any attention. Uh, instead, it's going to be the people that are praising Watkins Glen being under two hours. Why are you praising that? Why? Okay, you got you had two hours out of your day, and then you got to do more with your day, but you're a racing fan. You're a racing fan. Don't you want to watch racing? These are the same people that love watching 12-hour endurance races or 24-hour endurance races and you're really happy this race was under two hours, that doesn't, that doesn't jive. Why do you love the 24 hours of Daytona or the 12 hours of Sebring or whatever, but you're very happy this NASCAR race was under two hours? That's not a positive sign for NASCAR if you're happy this race was under two hours because you know what's going to happen? Then every race is going to become under two hours, and then they're going to go to an hour and a half, and you know it, it's not a good thing. In my opinion, I'm a racing fan. I want to watch racing. I want to watch more of it. I always want to watch more of it. Um, let's compare NASCAR to Formula One. Well, Formula One, and, and I love all the racing series. I've not been as much of a Formula One fan lately just because the product's terrible. But if the mm. product's good, I do love Formula One. I love watching great racing. But uh, Formula One races are under ish two hours for the most part. Um, depends, obviously, on circumstances, but they have always been the premier racing series in the world. The engineering, the it's more than just the racing. It is a spectacle. It's everything. Right? So there's a reason Formula One is the biggest in the world. They don't need lengthier races. IndyCar is not as popular as NASCAR. IndyCar only has an hour and forty five minute, you know, hour and fifty minute, two hour races for the most part, other than a couple here and there. I wish IndyCar races are longer. I like. I want longer IndyCar races. I, I understand there's a reason, a good reason for it not being uh, longer, but dude, I want to watch racing all day on Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> I love racing. I'm a racing fan. I just want to watch more racing. And to celebrate this race being under two hours just blows my mind. Is that where we want NASCAR to go? Is under two hour races, other than a few here and there? No, I don't. If you do, I, I I just don't understand it. I don't understand it. I understand why you think you understand it, but that doesn't jive with the racing fan as me. When the race is over, I don't want to sit there and not have something to watch. I want to have something to watch. I love racing. That's what I want. That's a short rant, but it's my rant. Like, it, I love racing. I, I've told you if the Coca-Cola 600 could be the Coca-Cola 1200, I'd love it. As, you know, as long as he didn't run over the Indy 500 as well. But, yeah. All right. Give me the Pocono 500-mile own- race again. I don't care.
1: <laughs> My only re- rebuttal uh, would be, you know how you get casual fans to watch?
0: Yeah, but. Shorter races. But these are the same people saying they love the twelve hours of Sebring and the twenty-four hours of Daytona. That's, that, How that's, are you trying to get your, more casual fans yeah. on those,
1: right? Like you, that's that's the you're yeah, contradicting the, yourself. If caveat, you yeah. want
0: more people, if you want more people to watch the twenty-four hours of Daytona, then make it an hour and a half race. Don't make it a twenty-four hour endurance race. Make it an hour and a half race.
1: Yeah. That'll get more that, people and to watch that,
0: 24 hours of Daytona.
1: <laughs> and that that was the that was the main point in 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 your wine about it that that I cannot argue is is those people. But from a from an overall grand scheme of things, you know, getting getting people into the sport more, I think shorter races will help. As will, it was announced today or yesterday, Netflix will be doing a docu-series type of uh but they yeah, exactly there's so many more
0: ways to get people in the sport netflix series of the playoffs run by produced mm-hmm. by dale earnhardt jr sports betting yeah. um fantasy sports a gazillion other ways to get people in the sport than making the races under two hours you can have a two and a half a three-hour race and still get new people into this sport i've seen it myself you've seen it yourself just because we get people interested in betting the race or playing fantasy NASCAR for the race, DFS. And that yeah. gets them tuned into these two-and-a-half, three-hour races when they were never NASCAR fans ever for the first 30 years of their life, and suddenly they're watching NASCAR. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where we don't need shorter races to get new fans in. We need better ways to connect with fans in general, and it doesn't have to be from shorter races.
1: Yeah, I, I'm glad to see them branching out and, and doing new things and, you know, I, I think under two hours is is too short, but I'm not opposed to races being two and a half. I think that I think that's a nice yeah, little sweet spot. I'm not opposed spot.
0: to that. I'm not opposed to that. I don't want my races to be two and a half hours, but hour and 50 whatever minutes it was.
1: Yeah, too short.
0: <sighs> I don't want that. I want my IndyCar races to be two and a half hours. I want my NASCAR races to be three, three and a half hours, like... Minimum, because <laughs> like that's what I grew up with is not the IndyCar car side, but NASCAR side. That's what I grew up with. I loved sitting there watching my race and just seeing how it unfolded. But I understand attention spans are shorter and shorter these days. I understand that, but that's how we can make things. We can make things entertaining for three hours, three and a half hours. Stage cautions or whatever you know stages. <laughs> you can make things entertaining for three hours without shortening the amount of time we're entertained by it.
1: Mm hmm. I get what you're saying for sure. Um and that's a you know solid whine about it. People like to contradict football games themselves. Are
0: three hours. Why 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 are people not complaining that football games aren't two hours long
1: Well I mean we're seeing it in baseball right now. You don't think we're gonna but, see uh, but not shorten, in football shortened NFL. Yeah. I think I think they might do something to do it. Nah try but... and shorten it. I don't think so.
0: If anything, all they've done is lengthen things, replays, more penalties, you know, all sorts of stuff, complexities of rules. And I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying, like, there really hasn't been a shortening of it. Uh, if the product is entertaining, and there's other reasons for it to be entertaining, fantasy football, biggest thing in the world. Uh, now, football betting, one of the biggest things in the world. There, people will watch it, right? So mm-hmm. if you find ways to make these things entertaining, people will sit through a three-and-a-half, a, a four-hour game. They just will. And if you find yeah. ways to make the races or, entertaining for three hours, they'll watch the races for three hours.
1: Or if if you embrace betting and people have money on it because you know why I'm up I'm on saying. a Monday night in the fourth quarter when it's 42-7 because I probably have the over at 53. Mm-hmm. And I need another fucking touchdown to hit my bet. Exactly.
0: So. Exactly. And that's in in to be fair, NASCAR does a good job of working with sports book partners compared to other racing series, but it can always be improved, right? You can always find ways to partner with sports books to add more markets and it's tough like sports books aren't going to add more markets if they're not going to get handle on them and if they're just going to get absolutely destroyed by these props but that's also why you need to be providing good data to these sports books uh just like going with your rant your wine about it providing the best quality data to these places because that'll let sports books set sharper lines where they're not getting absolutely slammed on niche super niche markets or props or whatever right if you have something where the lap of the last caution um, or how many laps to go under over, like, five and a half laps to go, the last caution, or seven and a half, or whatever it is. You get people tuned in until the end of the race, and then you have the stage yep. bets, things like that. It has people entertained through the whole race. So uh, it's it's part of that is straight up, just like you said, better data and better partnership for me. Uh, what I'm saying is better partnership with books to uh, sharpen their lines, which isn't great for us as betters that like to do it to make money off of it but there's a whole bunch of people out there the vast majority of sports betters bet for entertainment rather than like profit um and you know the our i think our audience is a little more uh we like to try to be super profitable about it but there's just a bunch of people that'll just throw money at random ass parlays on all sports and hope they hit something big and you know it's like playing the lotto you know how many people play the lottery a whole shitload of people play the lottery they're not doing it to make money I mean, they want to, but they know they're not going to make money unless they're incredibly, incredibly lucky. Uh, and most people will not be incredibly lucky and hit the lottery in their lifetime.
1: Hmm. Yeah. It's entertainment. Agreed. But I want to be entertained uh, for longer. That's
0: gonna... And I want to be entertained for long. <laughs> that's, that's my wine about
1: it. Yeah. As always, presented by Luvabella Winery. Check them out, luvabella.com. Check out their wines. Find one you like. Um, And I will always... As always, I'll put the the link to get them shipped to you if you don't have them in stores around you. Um, Passion Lines, Purple Rain, Reds. Look them up. Um, But that's going to get us into um, Daytona Talk. And... You already got some bets out this week. You got some good bets got, out this week. I've got a lot of bets already this week. Love to hear that. What do you What are you betting on this week? Because this is a betting podcast.
0: And we like to talk about bets. <laughs> we were told it was a betting podcast. Um, I can't wait for that person to come out of the woodwork in the comments. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> but um, no, it's... Uh, I'm super excited. This is a, this is the race last year, where somebody, a listener of Stacking Denny's, won a million dollars by taking your advice, by taking my advice, and by using their own brain. Which is the key part of this. They took initiative on this. They earned it. They did it. They just listened to some some facts you said, some facts I said, or some advice you said and some advice I said, and they put it together. I didn't put it together. You didn't put it together. They did. Um, So they did a great job and won a million dollars off of a $13.49 bet. They won just short of a million dollars. But um, what was that? It was a free bet. Yeah, free bet even. Um, So uh, this race has potential for some insanity just in general. Uh, So... My goal this week is to find the most valuable insanity bets. Uh, I did make one shorter bet. We'll talk about that. But my goal this week has been to find insanity bets. I'm not sitting here expecting to win anything. I expect to lose my bets. Maybe maybe all of them. I'd like to win a few of them. But I'm betting longer shots on everything, right? The shortest bet I've made so far uh, that's at least tracked in the action app is 9 to 1. Right? <laughs> so that's yeah. the shortest bet I've made so far tracked in the action app. And actually it's the shortest bet I've made so far, period. Um But yeah, I mean the first bet I made was Brennan Poole, two thousand to one. To win the race. <laughs> and people are like, what the hell? Because nobody knows who Brennan yeah. Poole is unless you're a hardcore fan of NASCAR. The sports books don't even know who Brennan Poole is. They rated him. At same as or in some cases worse than B.J. McLeod.
1: But. I know you, you DM'd me when you made that bet, and I was like, what, why? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. But Brennan Poole is good. He is he is really good. He gets more out of his equipment than anybody uh, in the lower series, other than maybe like Kyle Weatherman, or, or right there with Kyle Weatherman. And then there's a few others. But there's, I mean, you know, you'll argue with me about, the, not you specifically, but people will argue with me about this, that, or the other but, like, most of them are in mid- or upper-tier equipment. Brendan Poole is typically in, not necessarily shipbox equipment, but certainly lower mid-tier equipment at best, and he's putting mid-pack finishes up in places where skill actually comes into play. Uh, road courses or super speedways or certain kinds of shorter, flatter tracks, these kinds of things where it's not just pure horsepower, those intermediate tracks and stuff. Uh, Brennan Poole is a talented driver, and he is racing not for Live Fast Motorsports or BJ McLeod's team, which is not the same equipment as Rick Ware Racing. Let's be clear. They are not. Uh, But Rick Ware Racing has had competitive races this year. Andy Lally just Brought home, I think, what, a 23rd place finish, 24th place finish. We saw Todd Gilliland grab a 24th, I think, earlier this year. Uh, and then, obviously, on the Super Speedways, we've seen them grab a 7th place finish with David, or not David Reagan, uh, J.J. Yaley at Atlanta. Mm-hmm. 11th and a 10th with Riley Herbst and, and J.J. Yaley, I think it was, at the Daytona 500, right? Like, these aren't cars that are garbage. These are cars that can hang with the pack and – at this kind of race where I absolutely expect chaos as we talked about in the third stage they're just going to hang back until it happens in front of them and with 10 to go whatever 20 to go depending on how things are shaking out they'll try to make their move and if things play out the way they've played out the last three years in this exact race there's only going to be 50% of the field at most (laughs) on the lead lap at the end of this so then you're looking at Brennan Poole 2001 to beat maybe 18 cars probably less it, it, You know, if that happens of course there's no guarantee uh, and Brennan Poole has had amazing finishes in super speedway races relative to his equipment throughout his career so uh, just one of those where I mean Cody Ware had a shot to win this race last year if he wasn't Cody Ware <laughs> David Reagan had a shot to win this race in Rick Ware equipment last year. If you didn't make a mistake, he was fifth coming to the white flag, and he thought the leader was going to do one thing or whatever, and they did the other thing and didn't work out. If anything, David Reagan and Cody Ware should have worked better together. Uh, But you get the point. Somebody in this car had a shot to win last year. That shouldn't be 2001. So that was, that was my first, very first bet I made it was a 2001 bet. And uh, my model shows right around a little over 500 to one fair. My buddy Jim Sonnes, uh, he's actually like 625, 625 to one fair. So we both are showing value, a lot of value at 2001. We're still showing value at 1,001. I don't know if there's any Brennan Pools at 1,001 out there still. But uh, we're both showing value on, on Brennan Pool at 1,001 if you, uh, if you have that available to you.
1: Yeah, it's it, like you mentioned, you know, we saw um, Herbst at Daytona. He came away with top ten finish. J.J. Yaley there at Atlanta. Like, is this – are these guys going to win? Probably not. But if we get another mass wreck or giant big one that collects half the field and then all of a sudden there's, you know, what was there last year, ten cars on the lead lap? Uh, you know, going into mm-hmm. the the white flag, who's to say that these guys that the 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 better cars that are going to be up front don't get aggressive, going for the win, and take all take each other out, and then someone yeah. like a, a Brennan Poole just skirts on by. So. It's
0: one of those things. So remember last year, Austin Sindrick was leading, and Austin Dillon and Tyler Reddick were right behind him, and Sindrick slipped up, and Dillon got underneath him and had his teammate Tyler Reddick push him to the win. It could have been very different if Cindric hadn't slipped up. It could have come to, like, the white flag, and Austin Dillon and Austin Cindric could have been racing for the win and wrecked each other, taking out Tyler Reddick, and all of a sudden you got Landon Castle or or Cody Ware winning the race, right? Like, that could have played out last year. It didn't, but it could have. It very well could have. And I understand there was the rain deal last year and all that, which wiped out half – not half, 80% of the field. But – There was uh, what was it, 2020? I think it was only like 15 cars ended up on uh, the lead lap at the end of it, and there was a lot of them were damaged. So it's 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 a race where like just craziness happens, Um, and it's just it's it's so exciting to think like this is a possible scenario, and I got him at 2001, and. We're sitting here late in the race, and it still has potential, right? So part mm-hmm. of it is an entertainment bet. I'm not expecting to win. Nobody's expecting to win 2001. But I actually think, and I, I not only think, I mean, my model shows, other models show, it is a plus EV bet, and it could be, like, a ridiculously awesome sweat for you if the right circumstances play out. There's no guarantee,
1: of course. Um,
0: I Brendan Poole could argue blow an that. engine on lap one
1: in Rick Ware car, right? I would argue that every bet for Daytona and Talladega are entertainment bets.
0: I agree with that. I'm saying, um, I'm saying this is like the ultimate entertainment bet.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. 100%. I mean, unless you
0: have a, a top ten parlay, which don't exist anymore. Yeah, but uh, I would say this is the ultimate sweat. But remember earlier this year, I forget which race it was, when Ross Chastain wrecked Brennan Poole, and Brennan Poole said somebody needs to pop him in the mouth.
1: Yeah, Brandon I think Foo it was, was racing
0: for like twenty sixth or something ridiculous at the time. I and mean, he was he was passing cars in a Rick Ware racing car. Uh, he was competing. I think it was I think he was passing like Austin Dillon or something for a position. When that happened, Austin Dillon won this race last year.
1: Yeah, just, just saying. <sighs> what other uh, what other bets you got this week? I haven't made a single bet this this week.
0: Um, well, I took some, some backmarker backmarker top tens Ty Dillon, Brendan right. Poole, JJ Ailey, because that's just too long for these guys. <laughs> I mean, this is going to be the craziest race of the year potentially. Uh, it, it typically has been the craziest race of the year each of the last three years. Uh, I took, uh, looks, looks Ty like Dillon 150 to 1. I took Ty Dillon 150 to 1 top Chevy. Um, I took a couple other top Chevys. I took uh, Riley Herbst, 40 to 1, top Ford, I should say, not top Chevy. And I took, um, what's his name, uh, top Ford? Oh, Todd Gillen, top Ford, 25 to 1. So that's where we're standing. And then the only other bet I have is James Dennis Allen Hamlin. Sixteen to one to win because of everything we've talked about with the correlation um, of him and Bubba. Oh, I lied. I, I wrote up one other bet: um, Denny and Bubba to finish one two in any order. Uh, yeah, that's Caesars you can grab either either the exacta or the quinella. Those have moved so short I wouldn't take those now. But when I grabbed it, I grabbed the quinella at fifty-five to one. I moved it to forty-five to one. So the quinella is one two in any order. But then the exactas are first and second or. First and second in the reverse order. And then those were each 100 to 1. So if you think about it, the Quinella and the Exacta are the same thing. It, it, obviously, they're technically not because one's more likely to finish first than the other. But essentially, if you take both Exactas, you're just taking the Quinella. So I took the Quinella 55 to 1. I moved it to 45 to 1. But the Exactas were still 100 to 1. So if you just did one unit on the Quinella at 55 to 1 and it won, you'd win 55 units. But then I moved it to 45. So you'd only win 45 units. Well, if you do the two exactas at hundred to one and do a half unit, you'd be still risking the same one unit, but then you'd win fifty units instead of forty-five if one of them hit. So uh, then it became profitable to, to take the one hundred to one exactas. Those went down to eighty, so then it became profitable. I should say profitable. I shouldn't say profitable because I don't know if they're profitable, but I'm saying compared to the other bet, then it became more profitable and compared to the other bet to take the forty-five to one quinella again. But now I think they're both too short to to play that because that was a correlation play. Denny and Bubba are going to be the two most correlated drivers, period, in this race.
1: I fully, truly believe that. Hmm. Yeah. Um. You. Uh, you know. Explain your Ty Dillon. You know. You. He's one of your favorites to bet at these super speedways. Uh. Kind of like you know. Uh, Todd Gilliland's always one of my favorite mm-hmm. guys to play in DFS at Super Speedways. Uh, what's your What's your Ty Dillon thinking here? Because you know, <laughs> I think yeah. it, it, it's Ty Dillon, and that car's been garbage for a lot of the year. But I also feel like that car's improved quite a bit over the over the year. And we know how good Corey LaJoy is at Super Speedways as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, the other
1: Spire car.
0: Yeah, I mean Ty Dillon is. Not a great driver. He, it's evidenced <laughs> by how far behind he is, Corey LeJoy, in the standings. I, I do yeah. think there's some equipment deal there. Like, the 7 has always been better than the 77. But it could also just be that Corey LeJoy is just typically better than all these other drivers as well. Uh, but that aside, that aside, he still just – Ty Dillon has never compared to his teammates wherever he has been. Last year was, uh, you know, Legacy Motor Club. Uh, which was then Richard Petty Motorsports, whatever the hell it was called, um, Petty GMS last year, he was no he, he couldn't sniff Eric Jones uh, at most of the races. But it's a super speedway race. Everything is equal here. He is not in shitbox equipment as evidenced by Corey LaJoy, right? Uh, he, at worst, is in equal equipment to the Rick Ware cars. Uh mm-hmm. and maybe he's not a better driver than Brennan Poole or JJ Yaley, but he's good enough and I think he, I think he's good at these types of tracks. We've seen it throughout his career where he pulls off top ten finishes uh at these types of tracks or near top ten finishes. Daytona five hundred last year I had him something like three and a half, four and a half to one to finish top ten. He finished eleventh because Chase Elliott beat him by a <laughs> foot, not even a foot. On the last lap, uh, for not only top ten but top Chevy, uh, so you know Ty Dillon just finds a way at these tracks, and it's the same thing. It's the same thing as these Rick Ware cars. They're gonna ride around in the back, let the shit hit the fan, and see if they can pull off a top ten finish. And with Ty Dillon, you never know. Maybe he pulls off a win. I'm not gonna say he's going to win. I don't think he's gonna win, but he because of the Top thirty rule no longer being in effect this year. If he wins, he's in the playoffs because he's a full time driver, and he started every race that he can. So, if he wins, he's in the playoffs.
1: <laughs> That'd be awesome if that happened.
0: Yeah. And here's the funny thing: if I'm if I'm Joey Logano, and Daniel Suarez and Ty Dillon are somehow in front of me on the last lap, I'm pushing Ty Dillon to the win because he's not going right. to be a threat in the playoffs. Oh yeah. He's not oh, no. going to be a threat in the playoffs. I'm not taking the win myself because it's. I'm more likely if I'm running third to wreck myself to get the win. I think I'm just going to push Ty Dillon to the victory and get Bubba Wallace out of there and get Daniel Suarez out of there, get Ty Gibbs out of there. Let Ty Dillon be in the playoffs. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah, there's but definitely,
1: but you know, about, yeah, one of the theoretically, things. it'd be awesome to see.
0: I always, I'm, a, I'm the, I'm, you know, I'm the guy that like thinks about these ridiculous scenarios. Like, if I'm Joey Logano, does the five playoff points help me better, but the risk of wrecking, or does pushing Ty Dillon to the win matter more to knock out a good car? I think the calculus is a lot easier if you get to knock out Brad Kozlowski or Kevin Harvick, which we don't have now. Um, But let's say AJ Allmendinger had won last week, and and we could knock out one of Kevin Harvick or Brad Kozlowski. Absolutely, I'm pushing Ty Dillon to the win uh, to knock one of them out, but when it's like Bubba Wallace or Ty Gibbs or Daniel Suarez, maybe not as exciting. Um so maybe you still go for the win, but these are the scenarios well, I always
1: think about. Let's say let's say you're on the outside lane pushing Ty Dillon uh and you know you're thinking of that whole scenario. Let's say Chase Elliott is sitting there in the middle lane leading yeah. the middle lane. Yeah. yeah, you're pushing Ty Dillon for that win. <laughs> Absolutely. 1 million percent. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about, you know, we talk about this a little bit, each, uh, super speedway race, but DFS strategy with DFS, you, you love DFS when it comes to Daytona, when it comes to Talladega, uh, what are, what are some of the, let's refresh some of the, the the tips that, uh, that are good to remember here, super speedway week. And, uh, so I think there's the general tips. number one. Do not fucking play the front row starters. Don't. Whatever just you do, just don't. Do not play them. I don't care God. who it is. I
0: don't care if it's even. Even Danny though Hammond. you think this race could be tame for the first half of it, it's still not going to necessarily be tame with the front row starters as the ones leading the train. Mm-hmm. And then they would still have to win in the chaos of stage three, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, unless they finish like. Unless they absolutely dominate the first two stages, which we never see because of the way the pit strategies work out, right? These teams will come in and manufacturers and one manufacturer will end up leading and another and then it'll just blend back together and all that. There's just not going to be a dominant driver. It just doesn't happen anymore that way. Uh, So don't play the front row. Sparsely play drivers in the top 10. At most. At most. And this is this is the like 1% at most three drivers starting in the top 10 because it does occasionally happen that three drivers mm-hmm. that starting in the top 10 end up in the alignment But you want them further back in the top 10, um, two of them at least further back in the top 10, and maybe one inside the top five. But ideally, zero or one drivers starting in the top 10. Some two, like I said. You can have some twos. And absolutely no more than three. Like, the most tiniest sprinkle if you're like mass multi-entering of three drivers starting in the top ten. And apply that just going back through the starting order because everything is so equal here at Super Speedways and place differentials, especially on DraftKings matter so much that you just want to weight yourself more towards drivers starting farther back. So DFS players do that the good ones weigh it more towards starting towards the back. There's always going to be in these monstrous tournaments, too many people playing drivers starting too far forward. But there's also an overweight of good drivers still being used in the back. So if somebody, let's say a Chase Elliott qualifies 29th, he's going to grab 40% ownership when he should be 33% or 30% in a race like this, where it's going to be potentially mass chaos. So go underweight a little bit on Chase Elliott. Instead of playing him 40% where he's going to be owned and 33% is optimal, you can get a little leverage by playing him 28% or 30%. Or you could just play him what I call game theory optimal and just play him in the where he is projected optimal. Maybe it's 33% or whatever. But that's the basic tenet of super speedway racing. Fade the front don't completely you got to sprinkle in these guys you you can have a driver from ninth place win the race and end up in the optimal lineup or 7th place or whatever so play them sparingly and weigh them as you go into the teens the teens is often a good place to especially the mid back half of the teens find some good contrarian drivers Uh, and then the 20s 30s those are where you're going to hit hard even the good drivers you're going to hit hard But the good drivers, you're going to want to just play around optimal, uh, maybe slightly less than optimal if you want to have some risky leverage, is what I call it, to to try to win the big prize. And the ones that are the, air quote, bad drivers are in the bad cars. Those are the ones you're going to want to go overweight on because they never are played enough. Never. Mm -hmm. To this day, they have never been played enough. Uh, So that's DraftKings DFS strategy. But this Race in particular is extra unique because it's going to be potentially extra chaotic, but also extra correlated with teammates. This isn't Daytona 500 where it's everybody for themselves when it comes down to it, right? This is Denny Hamlin is going to push Bubba Wallace to the win if it comes down to it. This is uh, Joey Logano is going to push Austin Sindrick to the win if it comes down to it because that helps the company. The team that they race mm-hmm. for, Joey Logano is not going to grab five extra playoff points if he can get Austin Dillon into the play, or Austin Sindrick into the playoffs. We saw this last year. Tyler Reddick pushed Austin Dillon to the win, even though he could have passed him. He pushed him to the win. Uh, so this is where the only race, and this is why I say use the Fantasy Labs optimizer. This is where you want to bump up correlation between certain drivers, drivers that are not locked into the playoffs. That have teammates, you will want to increase the correlation percentage on the Fantasy Labs Optimizer with those
1: teammates, because it is a smart and, thing to do. Mm-hmm. And also bump up the randomness of lineups. Exactly. Yeah. You know when, bump you, up said, the when you say randomness, all that stuff. That's that's one thing you know. I always tell people uh, when it comes to Daytona, Talladega, it's not. It's not who you pick this week. It's how you make your, how you build your, your lineup. I don't care who mm-hmm. is in your lineup, but um, yep. just be smart about Roster where you're picking. And, yep. and, you know, you, you mentioned the, the teens being, being a very good place to find contrarian plays. Another one, and it doesn't make sense to me are, are guys like, you know, they have a reputation of running bad or they only have a few starts at this track. Believe it or not, this this translates to ownership. Mm-hmm. Guys like Todd Gilliland, who is wrecked out of every single Daytona race, isn't going to be very high owned, even if he qualifies thirtieth. He's a mm-hmm. great play qualifying thirtieth, like guys like that. Guys like uh, who's in the thirty-six this week, um, uh, or oh Chandler yeah, Smith Herbst. in the thirteen, Riley yeah, Herbst Chandler in the thirty-six, yep. even Josh Berry in the forty-two. He's a little bit more, but like Austin Hill in the sixty-two. Their ownerships are going to be a little bit lower just because there's not much data on them, so nobody has anything to go off of. So and they're in
0: worse equipment, right? But the yeah. equipment is neutralized here. Yeah. But same thing, you're Brennan Poole's. Like, Brennan yeah. Poole's going to be under-owned in this,
1: this race. Oh, yeah. Because chances <laughs> I are...
0: Could, I legitimately <laughs> could like not feel bad about going like 40% of Brennan Poole if he you know if he qualifies in the back i, I yeah. legitimately would not feel bad about that i don't i think that's way too high something more like 20 25% uh, let's say 15 to 25% makes the most sense i would think given he's going to be at most 12% owned i would guess i haven't run right. numbers on it but like i legitimately for myself the way my risk tolerance is would not feel bad about going 40% on Brennan Poole if he's starting 35th 33rd whatever
1: Right, and I'm right there with you. I went 40-something percent on Austin Dillon at Watkins Glen last week, by the way. Where was he – do you know where he was running when he wrecked on the final lap?
0: 18th, maybe? He and Larson – he and Larson struggled to get through the field, whereas Kyle Busch and, and Bubba Wallace made better progress because uh, they were the four that, like, really got screwed by that caution timing. Um, I think it was I just thought 18th, about that. But Austin Dillon, man, I – I had Austin Dillon top 10 bet, as you know, last week. I was really high on him, and he was running legitimately 10th, uh, pushing Bubba Wallace for 9th in that race. And then the caution came out and just screwed a bunch of them over. But, yeah, uh, I, I hear you. Go go ahead on Austin Dillon. But I think he was running around 18th when that, that, okay. that happened with Kyle Larson.
1: Yeah. I don't remember what I was going to say about Austin Dillon, but. Um, DFS, 40%, something like that. Oh yeah, you were talking about Brennan Poole and and going you know forty percent like that's. I'm the same as you when it comes to wrist tolerance. I I if I feel really good about something, I'm just gonna fucking send it. You know. Yeah, yeah. I was you. You're actually yeah.
0: even more than me. Like you will send it more than me. Oh. I stick closer yeah. to 100%. optimals. <laughs> I stick closer to optimals just because there's a reason they are optimals. Uh, But uh, I have no problem going overweight if I think somebody's going to be too under or vice versa, going way underweight to somebody I think is going to be too over. Um, But I I very rarely, if not ever, uh, and obviously I don't play DFS much these days because it takes a lot for me to play uh, not being in a DFS state. But uh, I very rarely, if ever, um, go zero or 100 uh, these days. I know... My earlier DFS career, when things weren't as optimized, um, just from a player pool standpoint, like people had no idea how to pick percentages of players, I was more willing to go all or nothing because I knew I had even better leverage. But these days, it's you know there's there's still an edge in DFS, but it's not as big as it was in like 2015 through 17, 18 for sure.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Um. Any other, you know, obviously some books uh, don't have their lines up yet. Um,
0: Keep refreshing FanDuel. (laughs) They have lines up, up. but I want to, you know, like, remember the Daytona 500 episode? Like, we live bet so many crazy things on air on Stacking Denny's. Don't Mm -hmm. see any of that right now, unfortunately. So, um,
1: no. FanDuel hasn't Uh, released any
0: ridiculous props.
1: Another thing uh to keep an eye on I always keep an eye on uh when we come to these tracks is um head to heads if they basically if I see a head to head and any driver is plus 140 or longer I'm betting it no matter what. I don't care who it is. Because yeah. these are this is such a toss up. Like you said this race everybody's equalized. So mm-hmm. I that's that's another, you know, tip that I tend to give out for for Daytona and Toledo and rarely do we see that but you know it's definitely possible.
0: Yeah, no it's certainly possible. Um I'm looking at uh I'm looking at Caesar's Sportsbook right now and their head to heads are all at most somebody is even money. So um doesn't look like we're getting any of those right now at least at Caesar's Sportsbook. I don't have DraftKings open or anything. Um and then FanDuel has Every single matchup in minus money on both sides.
1: Yep. Yeah, I think our days of getting great lines, like there's obviously still gonna be some value out there with, with these super speedways, but great stuff, you know, outside of the, the bread and pools at five thousand to one or, or two thousand to one.
0: Remember last year we were getting JJ <laughs> Yaley's types at twenty to one, now we're getting them at yeah. twelve to one. Um, we were getting uh you know, if I look at the million dollar parlay last year,
1: uh, I think McLeod was twenty. Uh Reagan yeah, was McLeod twenty. Was
0: twenty. Reagan was twenty. Landon Castle was fifteen one. Like this year Landon Castle will be ten or nine to one. Um and then the other one was David Reagan nine and a half. Yeah. So so it was Cody Ware and BJ McLeod twenty to one. We're looking at BJ McLeod was twelve to one at Caesars. And then he got bet down. Uh, Cody Ware is twenty to one. was 21 last year well his counterpart this year is either J.J. Yaley or Brennan Poole however you want to look at it they were either 12 or 10 to 1 and same with David Reagan was 9.5 to 1 last year so either 12 or 10 so a little bit of extra value there but not really because you're balancing it with the Cody Ware 20 to 1 overall Rick Ware shorter this year and then Landon Castle is Ty Dillon uh, he was 15 to 1 Landon Castle last year Ty Dillon opened nine to one at Caesars, so um, just they just straight up shrunk that. And then all those other guys last year that are like lower mid tier, close to bottom tier, close to shitbox box tier, whatever you want to call them, you know those guys are going eight, nine, seven, six. There wasn't another one of those guys longer than I think three fifty to one. So right, um, books have super sharpened up to it, and it's just gonna get harder and harder to to beat them on that. But there will still be values that pop up from time to time, so you just always gotta yep. keep an eye on things because uh if you are a absolute knowledge brain of NASCAR, you will understand where those values pop up, but it's certainly few and farther between than it was last year,
1: and you have to be quick because they're gonna move quick yep um but uh who's your pick to win for? Daytona. Got a feeling you're going Should bubba, I get the dark board out?
0: I'm going uh, <laughs> to I'm going to go to random.org and I'm going to just pick a number from one to thirty-nine and I'm going to go down the odds board on Caesars. <laughs> Legitimately, that's just what I'm going to do. Oh no. Oh boy. Oh no. Maybe I'll change it to one to Wait. Wait. <laughs> I got 37. Oh. Well, technically there's four drivers tied for 39 or There's 7 six. I got 37, which on the order I'm looking at is J.J. Yaley. But I just kind of want to say Brennan Poole because of that. <laughs> Maybe I should pick, like, one to whatever Todd Gilland and and Harrison Burton, Riley Herbst, all those guys are. So remove the bottom four. seven through Let's do 1 to 35. Just going to random.org 1 through 35. 13. So 13th on the odds board is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. So it's three guys at 20 to 1. The one technically listed as 13th. Unlucky 13. Daniel Suarez. <laughs>
1: that would be fun.
0: That's my pick to win is Daniel Suarez. Man, my pick to
1: win is Brennan Poole.
0: <laughs> give me, give me point. What was it? <laughs> what was it? What did I do that one time? Like, give me a uh, one tenth on one, this guy one on the other. <laughs> Yeah, give me yeah. one one hundredth on Brennan Poole and ninety nine one hundredths on
1: Daniel Suarez. <laughs> God. Oh man. God. I'm uh, I'm going to go with your prediction last week. And I'm going to say Eric Jones. I like that. I like Wednesday, Tony on Saturday night and disrupts Bubba Wallace, making it into the playoffs.
0: That one. Okay. So we talk about teammates. We talk about correlations. We talk about all this stuff. That one's a weird one for me, right? Because legacy motor club is a Chevy team, but Eric Jones Moving is to going Toyota. to Toyota next year. But nope. Josh Berry is going to Ford next year. <laughs> I I actually think that might be the least correlated team, out there. Yeah, yeah. Because is is are the Toyota drivers going to help him, or is he going to help Ty Gibbs, or you know to get in the good graces, or is he going to go for it himself and whatever? Is Josh Berry going to help the Fords, or I, I, don't, I don't? Is he going to be help the Chevys because he's a Chevy right now? It's the weirdest situation for me. So. Um, and all of these things that I'm saying, they don't matter that much aside from like Denny and Bubba or a couple of other, you know, like I said, Joey and Austin Sindrick or, or Ryan Blaney and Austin Sindrick. Maybe a, uh, maybe again, another one that's kind of weird is Justin Haley and AJ Almendinger. Like Justin Haley's not returning that team and he's never been a team player anyway. And then mm-hmm. AJ Almendinger it sounds like may not come back to cup. And then there's Chandler Smith in that mix. So there's some weird stuff there. Uh, but like a lot of this teammate stuff is kind of in the margins. Other than I would say like Bubba and Denny. That's why I wrote up Bubba and Denny as my correlated play on actionnetwork.com. they in the action app. I I don't know if you saw the article, but I wrote up Bubba, Denny, parlay. Yeah, I mean, it's
1: technically saw, yeah.
0: first and second or second and first, whatever way you want to do it. It's, it's technically a parlay. It's a correlated parlay. But there's a reason I didn't write up some of these others because they're more on the margins. Um, So while it may add or or subtract a little bit of value here or there, I would mostly just say these are independent things. Um, Like, for example, who is Kevin Harvick gonna go with? Is he gonna go with Eric Almirola or Ryan Priest or Chase Briscoe or whoever happens to be in front of him? Right. So it it doesn't matter as much for the Stuart Haas guys or the Hendrick guys even necessarily. The one that matters for the most is Denny Hamlin and Bubba Wallace, period. And I think there's a couple that it matters for, kind of. Ryan Blaney, Austin cindric Or Joey Logano, Austin Sendrick. Um And a couple other examples, right? Like maybe Kyle Bush pushes Austin Dillon to the win. Uh, those kinds of things. Like there are certainly ones that matter. Uh, but I wouldn't get too wrapped up in Eric Jones' teammate stuff, not teammate stuff. And I, I brought it up, but like... Those all influence things. It's super tiny compared to some of these other teammate correlations. So when I talk about teammate correlations for DFS, I'm just talking about the big ones. The ones that really matter for the playoff picture, uh, where there's a very clear, solidified teammate picture. That's what I'm talking about. Michael McDowell, Todd Gilland, I actually think is an important one. The best thing Michael McDowell could do for front row motorsports is push Todd Gilland to the win. Yep. Yep,
1: 100%. Yeah. And I mean, they now yeah. have,
0: and that's where Riley Herbst is kind of a weird one, right? He's running in a front row motorsports car with Stuart Haas racing help. Like, what does Riley Herbst do? <laughs> Again, so another right. one that was like in the margins that I don't really care about. But like a Michael McDowell, Todd Gillen correlation is there if you want to use it in DFS. Obviously, it's mm-hmm. not there on betting because we don't have any uh, exactas on that specific combination or, or Quinellas on that combination, but in DFS, Michael
1: McDowell Todd Gill and correlation is there. Mhm. Always good to keep that type of stuff in mind. Um but that's all I got for this week. You got anything else? No. Um
0: I mean, those correlations, I mean, we could just we could run through one or two others, like Ross Chastain is going to push Daniel Suarez to win if he can. Mhm. I think there's going to be enough correlation between Busher and Keslowski because Kezlowski doesn't have a win. I think Busher would love to repay the favor to his owner. So I could see that being a correlation. The Hendrick cars are correlated. It's just weird to figure out how, right? Like Larson and Byron are correlated with Bowman and Elliott, but Bowman and Elliott are technically anti-correlated because they want to beat each other. Right. They both want to win. So it's it's that kind of thing. And then – that also kind of means that, like, Larson and Byron are anti-correlated. Um, but they are both correlated with the other two, Elliot and Bowman. So it's a weird one yeah. there. But, like, that's that's kind of a well-defined thing. Uh, but everything else just seems kind of weird, you know? There, There isn't a whole lot of, like, well-defined stuff. And then you've got J.J. Ailey-Brennan pool, right? Like, if the opportunity arises... They should work together. Will they? I have no idea. The two Rick Ware cars didn't work to wh- together very well last year, but maybe these two are going to be better about it. I have no idea. Um, but uh, they're just correlated anyway in that they're just wreck avoidance, right? They're just going to ride around in the back. Mm. I, and a lot of these guys, Austin Hill, I think, will ride around the back. Uh, I won't necessarily say Harrison Burton. Austin Hill might not. But a few of these guys, like, you got to at least think B.J. McLeod, J.J. Ailey, Brennan Poole, and Ty Dillon will just ride around the back. Um, so those four are technically correlated as well for DFS purposes. So mm-hmm. that, that's kind of just where I want to leave it off. Did I have anything else to say? Yeah, let's let's just think about the possible correlations out there uh, for DFS purposes. I think those are the, one, the, the major ones.
1: Great info. As always, always nice to pick your brain when it comes to these super speedway races and DFS. And obviously, you know, we can't specifically talk about certain situations until the qualifying and starting lineup is set. Mm-hmm. But always keep, keep the hypotheticals in mind, and at the end of the day, like these, are the, these are the races where it's the most fun to make lineups for DFS. It's the most fun to bet on long shots because you're just rooting for chaos. And as long as, you everything have a,
0: as long as you have a portfolio of lineups, you know, let's say 10, 15, 20 lineups, or more, obviously for those like the mass multi-enter, you're probably not guaranteed, but probably not dead. Until the checkered flag flies. That yeah. Occasionally yeah. you can be, but but by and large, you're probably not actually dead for a profit or even a massive day until the checkered flag flies at these types of races.
1: I'm pretty sure there's been a, a time or two where, you know, like half my lineup in a high-dollar contest wrecked out early, and I still cashed because, you know, half the field took themselves out at the, the end of the The year
0: I won uh, – so I won the clash or whatever it was called um, – in consecutive years, I think it was 16 and 17, um, the preseason exhibition at Daytona, back when it was at Daytona. In the second of the two years, I think I was winning almost nothing. And Kozlowski and Hamlin were battling for the lead on the last lap, wrecked each other, ended up collecting a couple other cars, and I took down the whole contest. Not only did I take down the whole contest, I had the top five lineups um, in the (laughs) contest. Uh, Now, I only finished... Five of the top seven, but that's because somebody else tied with me on two different lineups. So, um, but I had the top five lineups in that contest. So I went from winning—that's insane peanuts—to winning thirty-five, forty thousand dollars with the top five lineups because I accounted for the chaos.
1: Uh uh-huh.
0: huh. Right? Like too many people were on Brad Keselowski and Denny Hamlin, who were starting off far enough forward anyway, that and who we also knew were going to be highly owned because of Brad Keselowski and Denny Hamlin back, especially then when. Those guys were just grabbing all the ownership uh, at super speedways. So it's just one of those like, well, if they wreck out, I'm just going to clean up. And they did. They wrecked out on the last lap, it turns out, because they were fighting for the win. So Hmm. you just got to play. It's all game theory, man. Like these things are what is optimal? What are other people going to do? And how can you deviate from that in a profitable way?
1: Yep. It's fun. I love making lineups for for Daytona, especially with, with the potential for this crazy race, even I might, though I do I think it's week. going I might to be. Play
0: this week. Maybe I'll make the drive to California oh,
1: man. this week. Getting you know, talked into playing we'll this week.
0: That's DraftKings... if I'm already not dumping enough on
1: 2,000 to one long shots. <clears throat> yeah, no shit. <laughs> All right. That's going to wrap it up for us. We will be back next week to talk about the playoffs because the field will finally be set. That 16th driver will be solidified. And yeah, we'll have a lot to talk about. We'll talk about Daytona and, and then oh, yeah. what Darlington's first race. So yep. good luck to everybody this weekend. Unfortunately, uh, we're not going to see another million dollar parlay, but that was the one year anniversary of that happening with this race. So uh, good luck with your bets. Hopefully, hopefully we see some long shot bets hit this weekend and uh Yeah. We'll talk to you next week. See ya.